All right, so here we are in Genesis chapter 20, and what we're going to see here in Genesis chapter 20, it's really just a story of something that happened with Abraham and Sarah, and we're going to, you're going to see that it's uh, kind of a repeat of another story that we saw earlier. You may remember, I think it was in chapter 12, where uh, he went into Egypt, and remember, he saw the other women in Egypt, and he's like, now I know you're a fair woman, you're beautiful, and he's like, they're going to want you, and they're going to kill me to get you. So he told her to lie, saying, you're my sister, and Pharaoh ends up seeing her, takes her, but before he could do anything, you know, the Lord revealed it and ended up protecting Sarah, and it was actually a very bad thing that he did to Pharaoh because God had just told Abraham, I'm going to bless him that blesses you and curse him that curses you, and Pharaoh's house ended up getting cursed as a result of what had taken place, but at the same time, it wasn't really Pharaoh's fault. He didn't know, did he? And we're going to see it here in chapter 20. He does the same thing again, but many years later, he repeats what is a very big mistake. And what we're going to do in this message, you know, I'm going to show you, you know, we're going to look at some uh, life application uh, on, in this chapter, but also there's a lot that we can learn and that we can understand about the world back in that day that I think will help us understand some other things in the Bible. Because there's a lot of things that we just kind of take for granted uh, that we we don't think about because we're just there's so there's certain things that we're all just really used to that the world wasn't always used to. There's things that we understand now that the world didn't always understand. And when we kind of you know put these things in perspective, it's going to help us understand a lot about the world that Abraham lived in. So look, so look at verse one. It says, and Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, remember here, this is this was crazy. Sarah's 90. Okay? Sarah's 90, and yet Abraham still has to worry about him wanting to take her. Okay? Now, again, either she was doing really, really good for 90, or like I talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, did God do something supernatural when he made it so she could bear again? You know, did he, like, make her younger? I don't know. You know, obviously, if I was a Ruckmanite, I could probably get away with teaching that. But the Bible doesn't tell us that. But it is interesting that at 90, they're still going after. Okay, I personally think, you know, it's just my weird Ruckmanite-ish opinion that <laughs> that she looked younger. I don't know. That's just what I think. But again, uh, if you want, you know, you disagree with me on that, I won't be mad at you. But if I was a Ruckmanite. Well, you can't believe your King James Bible. You can't say your King James only not believe that, but I'm not going to do that. But anyway, you know, why would Abraham make this mistake again? You know, why would he do something like this? The last time he did this, it went really bad for him. Well, one of the reasons I believe he did it, again, is many years have passed since the last incident. Many, many years, I mean, decades have passed since the last time he did this. And, you know, there's a lesson we can learn there because, you know, we often do, we kind of forget, don't we? You know, we mess up and, you know, time passes on and we end up doing it again. And then we remember after we make the mistake again. So imagine, you know, 20 some years or 30 years later, I think it was 20 some years, he's doing it again. You know, it's not really that big of a surprise. But I also believe he was still scared because the people of this land where he was a stranger were wicked. He knew. Listen, we've we've been seeing what's going on with these cities. In the chapter before, we saw Sodom and Gomorrah. 
how wicked it was there. I mean, do we really think the rest of the land of Canaan was much better? I mean, yes, it was not as bad as Sodom, but these were not good places. These were not moral places. And let's think about this. Why would any of them have been good moral places? Because think about it. It was only a couple hundred years before where they were at the Tower of Babel. And this, and so during the Tower of Babel, you would have had Noah still alive. And Noah was still alive, I believe, during this time. Or at least Shem was for sure. Uh, you know, you've got Shem that's around. But the thing is, this land where Abraham's dwelling is the land of the Canaanites. They all descended from Ham, who was very wicked. So we've got over 200 years now that have passed where people, they haven't had any kind of law. The law hasn't been written yet. The law of Moses has not come yet. What did they even have to go off of? I mean, all they would have had is just the stories passed down, you know, by Noah. And it's not, and Ham probably did not do a good job of passing those things down. So why wouldn't these people have been wicked when they had no law? I mean, think about just societies today who don't have Christian, that, that, you know, the Bible's just not anywhere there. They're always wicked, aren't they? And in many of these places, they've at least had the gospel given to them before, or there's some elements of Christianity there, or some elements of uh, law and order. These places didn't have it, so you can see why Abraham would have been a little worried. But um, another thing, too, we see here with Abraham, and I know Abraham's a great man, but this is just the way it was in the Bible days. Men didn't have real good relationships with their wives back then. It, they just didn't. Okay? And, and, and hear me out on this. Women and wives were pretty much property back then. Y'all understand that? Okay, you can't read this Bible and not tell me that relationships were better back then. Okay, that women were treated uh, great and as equals and things like that. No, they were not. They were. I mean, do you think David had good relationships with his wives? No. You look at some of the greatest men in the Bible. I mean, what, really, what are the true great love stories in the Bible? I mean, Song of Solomon sounds pretty good, but that couldn't have lasted real long since he had 700 wives. You know, where are the great love stories? There's very, very few. Now, there are ding-dongs out there in the preacher world who will often go to the Old Testament and look at those things and use that as an excuse for a sorry relationship with their wife today. You know, for treat, you know, there's people out there that will use this, you know, they'll use the Old Testament and the way things were back then as an excuse for treating their wife like cattle today. Now, is that appropriate? I mean, because that's how, that's how it was with Abraham. It, it, folks, is that how it was with Abraham? Listen, both times, Abraham pretty much let him take his wife. Abraham, both times, is saying, you need to say, say you're my sister, otherwise they're going to kill me. You know, I'm wondering why Sarah's not, yeah, but what about me? You know, and wouldn't it make them more likely to take her if they know they don't have to kill anybody to get her? It, it, it's, it's pretty weird, but folks, they did not have good relationships back then. That's how, that's just how it was back then, and it was not right. It, it was not right, and people can try to use that as an excuse but look what it says in verse 3. It says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, she is a man's wife. So notice, so, you, so people might say, 
you know, this attitude we have today of just being real close to your wife and just really loving your wife, you know, that's not biblical. That's just, you know, that's just something feminism has just pushed on. You know, women, because they want their equal rights and all that kind of stuff. But listen, you cannot use the examples of the Old Testament for how things should be today in relationships because they were wrong. Okay, and here's proof, of, I, I believe further proof of this is notice while Abraham did not value this relationship, God did. Because notice Abraham's not doing any threats to Abimelech. Abraham's not saying anything, but God comes to him and says, you touch his wife, you're dead. God cared more about that relationship. God cared more about the sanctity there than Abraham even did. So understand, even though man is wicked and man was really slow to learn some of these things, it was always right. Okay, Even though a lot of the laws about relationships and things <clears throat> and instruction that we have didn't come until later, it was always right to treat your wife good. It was always right to give honor unto her as unto the weaker vessel. That was always right. Every man always should have been willing to lay down his life for his wife. But that's not what we see in the Old Testament. They were wrong. But you know, God doesn't change. And God had a huge problem with this. And Abraham should have known better. You say, well, how would he have known better? Well, what does the Old Testament or the New Testament always do to prove a lot of these things? Okay, it always goes back to the Old Testament. And remember when the Pharisees are asking Jesus if it's okay to divorce your wife for every cause? What did Jesus do? He went back to Genesis 2. That was before Genesis 20. And what did he say? And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So notice how Adam understood this from the beginning. Man, this woman, she was taken from me. And the Bible says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave in his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That was something established in Genesis. And, but they didn't value that. Okay? They were, Abraham was pretty slow at a lot of these things. And you know what? If it weren't for the law of God, we would all be slow in these things too. We would just be just as backwards as every other culture. We'd be like the Muslims too. The Muslims still treat their women like cattle. They still do that. Okay, the Christian culture, we don't do that. You know why? Because we know better because of what the law has taught us, because of what the New Testament has taught us. But these concepts, the way we are more in our culture today, is better than what it was in the Old Testament. And it should have been this way then, but man was sinful. They needed a law to teach them these things. Look what it says in Romans chapter 7. So while Abraham should have known, while he should have known, Based on the story of Adam, he didn't, just like there were many laws that shouldn't have even needed to be given, but God did give them to show we were a sinner. You know, I mean, God shouldn't have had to put Leviticus 20.13 in the Bible. Okay? He shouldn't have needed to. It should be real obvious. Okay? But, you know, he did. You know why? Because man was wicked. God shouldn't have had to put thou shalt not kill in the Bible. Do you know that it was still wrong to kill before thou shalt not kill? Cain got in trouble for it, didn't he? But you know what? God had to put a law in there because man was wicked to show how sinful he was. And in Romans chapter 7, in verse 12, it says, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good, was then that which is good made death unto me? 
God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. So those commandments that are given, they reveal to us the seriousness of these things. They cause us to see these things in a different light. And I've preached on that subject before, and I don't want to say it again, but often, you know, these rules that we make a big deal about in our house, that we put great punishments on in our house, are to teach our children the seriousness of these things. If our, if, you know, rules are just rules, if they're just something that's written on a chalkboard in the house, and they're not something that comes with any kind of penalty, then they mean nothing. But we, we put these things in place to teach them things, and the law did that. The law is what made these things serious. The law is what made these things a big deal. But they didn't have the law back then. So if it, and think about it, if it hadn't been for God coming to Abimelech and telling him, I will kill you if you touch her, you know what he would have done? He'd have touched her. He'd have had his way with her because these are pretty much, in many ways, not completely, and I'm going to show you this, but in many ways, we would probably consider them pretty barbaric people. But what were they doing? They didn't have a law. You know what they were doing? They were going off their nature is what they were doing. And while they hadn't gone as far as Sodom yet, they still had a lot of issues. So even a man of great faith like Abraham, he was not capable of getting certain things right without the law. Abraham, while he was, he was, he was a good man, he was a man of great faith. But Abraham was a man who needed a law because he had some issues. So verse 4, but Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Okay, now what does it say? When, now, something you need to understand when the Bible talks about righteous. It doesn't always mean saved. Okay, I don't necessarily believe Abimelech and all these people were saved. I believe when he's saying a righteous nation, being righteous, and you can look this up in different definitions. All, like, for example, in the area of murder, I'm righteous. Okay, because I have not committed that trespass. All right. So if there's an area where you are, you know, not guilty, where you have not violated the law, you would be considered righteous in that area. God's telling Abimelech, I'm going to kill you for committing adultery with a married woman. But when he's saying here, hey, we're a righteous nation, he said, we didn't do that. Okay. Which was true. He had not touched her. So in this area where he's about to be condemned to death, he was in fact righteous. He had not done it yet. So I don't believe this is teaching that Abimelech or this nation here is saved. I don't believe that at all. But it says in verse 5, Said he not unto me, she is my sister. And, even, and she even herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. So he didn't know. He's like, this. I, I was just going off what he told me. He's the one that told me that she was that you know she was his sister. Said I'm innocent on this thing. I didn't know my heart was in the right place. But here's the thing you got to understand too. Even though his heart's in the right place, being with another man's wife, it would have been wicked in the eyes of God, and God would have killed him for it. That's how serious of a thing that is. This was before thou shalt not commit adultery. It was that serious. God saw it as serious. So as wicked as these people were, they weren't total barbarians because the sin that they were about to be punished for was one that was done in ignorance and that allowed God to be merciful. So they so they didn't just uh, you know they weren't they weren't like the reprobates. 
that they don't care, they just do it anyway, who know the truth, and yet still do wickedness. That's not what they did. So it says in verse 6, And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me, therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Okay? Now, so notice how God said, you know, I know your heart. God knew that he didn't know any better. But either way, even if he, though he didn't know the truth, it still would have been a horrible thing for him to do. That's how, you know, holy marriage is. Okay? That's how, that's how important that is to God. Man might not think it's that big of a deal, but God thinks it's a big deal. So notice, because his heart was in the right place, because he was ignorant, God revealed it to him before he was able to cross that line and do that wicked sin. And I believe that God's going to do that. God, There's things that God is going to reveal to people before they cross certain lines. But what ends up happening with the reprobate, we're going to look at some verses on this in a minute, God reveals it to them that what they are about to do is wrong, and they say, who cares? And they do it anyway. And then that's when they are given over to the reprobate mind. Now, if Abimelech would have said, you know what, Lord, I don't care, and would have went and done it anyway, then I believe he would have been reprobate at that point. He would have been done for. God would have wiped him out. But he didn't, he didn't do that. And so you need to understand, too, when it comes to, you know, the homos and people like that out there, you know, there's no doubt they knew better. And they said, forget it. I'm doing what I want to do anyway. And then they were given over to that reprobate mind. That, that's the way it works. So some sins come with judgment and pain, even if people are ignorant. But the biggest judgments come when the lines are crossed. When people step over that line that God has drawn in the sand, figuratively speaking. Okay? And I don't believe God lets people cross these lines without warning. Okay? Look, and, uh, and you don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, we know that before the gospel went into all the world, that idolatry was all over the world, wasn't it? We see idolatry everywhere in the scriptures. It is just a... It's part of man's sin nature to be idolatrous, it's, but at the same time, it's wicked. But God was merciful to those idolatrous people throughout the world because of the fact they, ha they did not have the law of God. They did not have light. But when the gospel went into all the world and it did get in all the world, all of a sudden now things change. It was like when the gospel went to the whole world, that's when God drew a line in the sand and God said, you know what? I'm not putting up with this idolatry anymore. And he said in Acts 17, verse 30, and at the times of this ignorance, talking about idolatry, God winked at, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent. And I believe that still applies today. Any nation today or any person, any religion that practices idolatry is in trouble with God. That's all there is to it. God hates idolatry. He's always hated idolatry. But there was a time when he was more merciful to those people because they didn't know any better. But the world knows better now, folks. Think about this. First, the world knows better, one, because the gospel has gone all over this entire world. Now, there's some places now where it is dark, but they've had the gospel before and they rejected it. Everywhere in the world has had the gospel at one point or another. But another reason, too, we have more knowledge today than we've ever had before. 
if anybody should know, you know, if any generation should know more than ever that an idol is nothing, it should be this generation. I can see how they could have fooled people back in the day. You know, thousands of years ago, as primitive as things were back then, with as little information as these people had, with as little that they probably saw, the fact that they, you know, they were never able to travel and go anywhere, do anything, they had no technology. I can see how they could have been fooled back then. But today, anybody who believes that a, that a statue has any kind of power that would worship a statue, okay, they're willingly ignorant at that point. And they need to repent. I believe God's calling on them to do that. But I, I, So again, though, going back to this time, this is before the gospel has gone throughout the whole world. This is before God has even given the law to Israel. So you can see how these, these nations would have had some pretty major issues. It should be pretty understandable. And even, too, that Abraham had some issues. But so nations no longer get an excuse. Okay, And reprobates don't get to where they are without warning. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. That reminds me of God revealing to Amalek that if you touch her, you're going to die. She is another man's wife. God's revealing that to him. Why? Because God did not want him committing that sin. That sin of adultery is a horrible sin. So God is going to warn a man. He's going to, he's going to let him know before he allows something like that to happen. And before anyone would ever do something as filthy and disgusting as sodomy, God's going to give him some warnings. And folks say, well, where are the warnings? All right. It's called nature. Okay. It's called, you know, it's called nature. That's all there is to it. Nobody just all of a sudden, boom, becomes a queer overnight. It's not the way it happens. Okay. It's a long progression. And, you know, there are people out there too. And this is something, you know, we need to understand in, you know, in some of the new IFB world, it's like, you know, when, where, where is the line? All right, because you know, we we don't know where the line is. We can't see where the line is, and it's different for each person. Okay, and, you know, for some new eye of beers, you know, some twelve-year-old says, "I think I'm gay." Reprobate. No, not necessarily. All right, not necessarily. Okay, now he might be leaning that way because he's listening to filth on television. He's being fooled in school. He's being abused by somebody. Somebody's taking advantage of him, putting junk in his head. Okay, but they're not automatically there yet. But at some point, okay, I don't know how God's going to do it. It's going to be different with everybody. He's going to let them know this is wrong. You cannot do this. You do not want to do this. And if they still go forward with these things, they will eventually be given over to a reprobate mind. And so it says, uh, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And you can see how, you know, this would have been uh, a big problem, you know, for if, if Abimelech would have done this, you know, he could have said, Lord, I never knew. And this was a terrible sin, but Lord, he could have, I did not know. Listen, no queer is going to be able to stand before God someday and say, I didn't know. I didn't know any better. They're not going to be able to do that. But God's going God's gonna to let them know because God doesn't want to give people over to a reprobate mind. 
And so it says in verse 21, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So we do see a difference between the people here with Abimelech and his people than the people in Sodom. Okay? With the people in Sodom, they were just they were way far past these guys. But the pe- Abimelech and his people, they still were a pretty lawless group of people. So uh, look at verse uh, 7. So he says, Now therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called his servants and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. So notice while this society was clearly backwards and had many things wrong, they did have a healthy fear of God, and that fear of God saved their lives. Because when they heard this, they weren't like our world today when you go and you try to warn them that mock you and just want to scoff at it. You start telling them about hell and they just get offended and get angry. That's not how these people were. I mean, when Abimelech tells them, hey, I almost got myself killed and all my house killed last night because I almost committed adultery. That woman that I took, she's she's another man's wife. And when these people heard it, they weren't like Lot's son-in-laws. When he talked about the judgment of God, he seemed as one that mocked. They got scared. And they're like, man, we've got to get rid of her. We've got to get, these, we've got to get them out of here. And it says in verse 9, And Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou and uh, that thou hast done this thing? So notice how Abimelech's thinking, Abraham, you must hate me. You know, what did you do? How in the world could you allow us? Now think about this. He's saying, you know, what makes you hate us so much that you would allow us to commit this sin and get in trouble with God? Shouldn't that be the attitude that people have out there today towards churches that don't go soul winning? You know, and I've known people like that. There's a guy I know, he's actually a pastor now. One of the things he used to talk about all the time after he got saved is, why didn't anybody tell me? He got saved, at like I think around 20 years or 19 or 20 years old, while he was in college. Him and all his family got saved, and he, he would just get angry. He was always like, why didn't anybody tell me? It was like they all got saved as soon as they found her the truth. And he just he couldn't figure out. It always bothered him. Why, almost every time he would preach. He would like start talking about soulning and stuff and talking about being a witness to people and he would just like start getting angry. Nobody ever told me. You know, I didn't get saved. I was 18 because nobody told me. And he and it made him angry at all these other churches that are out there. He's thinking about the other Baptist churches in that area. He's thinking about other Christians he'd known. And he's just upset. Why wouldn't anybody tell me I was on my way to hell and nobody said anything all these years? That's a righteous attitude right there. That's a good attitude right there. But, you know, often we just don't care about people enough and we don't warn them. That's wrong. You know, we hate people if we're not willing to go soul winning, if we're not willing to tell them the truth. You know, we hate people of other religions if we're not willing to tell them you're wrong and the way you're going is going to send you to hell. We hate people. I would be a wicked, hateful pastor if I went 
to these little ecumenical, you know, preacher gatherings where we all have our prayer breakfast together and just talk about all the things we have in common, I would be a wicked, cruel, hateful person to participate in somebody like that instead of telling these people the truth. So, oh, but, you know, we need to reach out to these people. You know, you should get involved in these things. So, listen, if I tell these people the truth, they're not going to let me be a part of their group. Y'all understand that? And I don't want to be a part of that group anyway. But I, I'm, I'm sick of seeing that with all these little skinny jean pastors that act like they're fundamental Baptists that are always getting involved in these things. Going and preaching at these ecumenical prayer breakfasts and things and getting their pictures taken with all these people of other denominations and how, you know, we're going to come together and make community and we're going to, you know, we're going to do all these things to feed the children. And it's like, you know what? If you're going to get all close to these people, why don't you witness to them? Why don't you tell that preacher, hey, what you're teaching is going to send people to hell? Why don't they do that? You know why? Because they hate them. Because ultimately they love themselves. They just want to be popular. They're thinking about themselves, so they don't warn anybody. And these people are on their way to hell, and you've got preachers out there doing nothing about it. You've got Christians today all over, never telling anybody about how they can be saved, never telling them judgment's coming. And one of these days, you know, on judgment day, I wonder if they're going to get a chance to look at you and be like, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? And, you know, I, I get it. I get it. Some people aren't willing to hear it. Some people are hostile to it. But you know what? There's other people like, like the guy I was talking about who they're just, somebody just needs to tell them the truth. You know, and I, I don't want to ever have anybody on Judgment Day acting like that. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you ever let me know? I, I don't want that happening to me. So we just need to tell everybody. Yeah, we might make a few people mad at us, but I'd rather them get mad at me for telling me the truth than not telling them the truth. So this was a terrible thing Abraham did. We have a responsibility to warn people about sin. We have a responsibility to warn people not just about eternal, the eternal punishment for sin, but even the earthly consequences of sin. Okay, don't support people who are shacking up. And, and having kids out of wedlock and getting divorced and remarried. Don't support that stuff. Why would you support them in that? You know better than that. You know the truth of these things. And you're going to encourage that? You're going to, you're going to promote that kind of thing? You're going to act like it's okay? I don't think so. I'm not going to do that. There's Christian people that have gone to family members, same-sex weddings. Why? You know why they do that? Because they don't want to be unpopular with the family. Folks, I'm just going to, you know, I don't like to go around making proclamations and saying I'll never do this or I'll always do that. I don't like to be too quick to do that. But, folks, I promise you this. I will never send a gift, a card, a congratulations to anybody who has a same-sex wedding. Not going to happen. And, folks, I think I've proved so far I've got a pretty good track record of certain things. I haven't even gone to family members' second weddings when they're marrying the opposite sex. One per customer. That's always been our rule. We've had that rule ever since we've got married. Unless a spouse dies, okay, we will only let you stand at a marriage altar and lie in front of us one time. If I say, if I witness you stand up here and say till death do us part and you lie about that and then you want to invite me to the next wedding, I'm not going. And we've had many invitations to second weddings and we've refused them all. 
and say, well, that's going to cause problems in the family. Not if you do it with everybody. Okay? It aggravated one the first time. But you know what? When the next one came along and they had their second wedding, didn't even bat an eye. Didn't even expect this to come. You know? And when the one's third one comes, we won't go to that one either. And it's going to, it's going to come eventually, as is how, as is how it is. We have one per customer. You know, you say, why are you doing that? Because we love our family enough that we're not going to encourage them into sin. That is not a loving thing to do. That's what you do if you love yourself. And we love our family, so we're not going to be that way. We're not going to encourage that kind of thing. I don't want, you know, the other family members thinking that this part of the family is going to think that's okay. Now, I understand. In my wife's family, not mine, but in my wife's family, you can get married as many times as you want, all right? And you're going to get, you're going to get mixture of support and non-support, okay? But I want them to always know, no support for sin over here. Zero. And they can count on it, that we're not going to support it. Don't ever support sin. You need to love your family and tell them the truth, even if it makes you unpopular. That's what you need to do. So verse 20, uh, 11 says, And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. So, you know, sometimes we just misjudge people. Because, folks, these people did have the fear of God. They did have the fear of God in that place. And that's why we just need to do the right thing no matter what. Just do the right thing. Hey, have you ever been there before where you went up to that door and, you know, you started talking to that person and, you, you know, this person's not going to get saved. And then they did you know, I mean, I've had people like that before where it's just like, you know, you walk on the street and they just look mean. They don't look friendly. They don't look like you want to talk. But, you know, you go and you talk anyway, and then they end up listening and get saved. We misjudge people all the time. You know, then you have the ones, too, you think they're going to be nice and friendly, and they're the ones that chew you out and run you off. I've had that happen several times, too. We often misjudge people. So, you know what we should just do? The right thing. Sometimes we judge people correctly, like that house the other day that had all this Stay home, stay safe stuff. You know, all the politically correct statements they're doing right now, we thought about, so who's I with? So with you, Austin? Yeah, it's like, let's just skip that one. I was like, no, we need to do it. We need the right thing. And they ran us off. I didn't misjudge them at all. But you got to do the right thing. So verse 12, and yet indeed, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Folks, Abraham still lied. Okay? Now, Abraham acted like a teenager right here. Okay? Now, those of you that have teenagers, you've experienced this, I'm sure. Those of you that do not have teenagers, prepare for this. Okay? This is a common teenage tactic. I, thankfully, I, I learned to deal with this before I had teenagers from working in the youth group. Okay? Teenagers are really good at, you know, what would be a good word? You know, they, they deflect. Like, when you ask a question... You have to be like a lawyer. It's like if you don't word the question exactly right, then they feel like they can just completely deny it. Like if you're trying, like, you know, hey, who ate the, who ate the French fries? You know, did you eat your sister's French fries? No. Yeah, but she saw you take one and eat it. Oh, yeah, well, I ate the French fry, but not the French fries. You know, that's the kind of thing. You know what? You're lying. Hey, you're lying. And that's the, that's the type of thing. People, when I was in the youth group, it was like that all the time, where it's like I had to carefully word these questions. Hey, did you? And they would always just try to, you know, come up with some other answer. I remember when I was a teenager, my friend, I told the story before, my friend threw a ball at a kid during school, 
hit him in the head when the teacher asked him if he threw the ball at him. He said, no, ma'am. And she was sure he did it. And then when she kind of followed up with him, on, he just said, I handed it to him through the air. <laughs> you know, folks, that's lying. <laughs> you understand that? When you are misleading, you are lying. Okay? So Abraham, he's trying to cover himself. Well, I didn't really lie. She is my sister. Okay? It doesn't matter. You're married to her. She was your wife. So therefore, it's still adultery. If they would have done it, this was a terrible thing for Abraham to do. That is a very, that is a very childish method that he used right there. And that type of thing has always made me angry. And if, if, and, you know, I used to teach, tell that to the kids in the school that I taught at and in the youth group and to my own kids, you know, if I got to act like a lawyer with you, you know, you're going to get like adult penalties, you know, jail time or something like that. You know, I mean, if I, if I could, I mean, that, nothing makes me more upset than that. Cause then I start having, what my kids have done, cause then I have flashbacks to when I was a youth director too. And it makes me, it makes me go, go all crazy. But anyway, so notice, um, lost my spot. Oh, yeah, so the fact that Abraham was married to his half-sister, I believe it also shows how even though he had great faith, he needed the law of God. Because, folks, you shouldn't marry your half-sister. Say, well, but Abraham did, yeah, but it was still wrong. But, well, then why did God bless him? Well, again, he didn't have the law of God. But, you know, that law about marrying half-sisters was not written yet. But I don't believe it was ever, uh, you know, ever necessarily a good thing. You can make an argument that it wasn't a problem yet until the law came. But, you know, I do find it interesting that Abraham married his half-sister. And we all know that creates genetic problems. And it took a miracle of God for her to have a child. And then we see Isaac, the next generation down, he married his cousin. And they also struggled having children. It kind of took a miracle there. And then she ended up having twins. That was all she had. So uh, I don't think there's a I don't think there's a coincidence there, but it, you know, but at the same time we don't see God condemning him or anything like that for it because the law hadn't been given yet. But I still don't think it was necessarily a good thing. But this is just a reminder that Abraham needed that law. Israel needed that law that God gave to them. If God had not given a law to the people of Israel, they would not have survived until the seed came. They had to have that law for survival. So we all think that we are superior. You know, we look at these things and we think this is terrible, it's disgusting. And we all think we're superior and above this type of thing because we have the knowledge that we do. Not only that, but we have the knowledge not only that it's a sin, we also have the knowledge that it's genetically is dangerous and therefore a disgusting thing to do. But we have this knowledge and understanding because of God's word, not because we're highly evolved and enlightened people through science. Okay. man doesn't naturally come to these conclusions on their own just through their nature. No, what man becomes through nature is people like what Abraham did, some of his mistakes, Abimelech, and Sodom. You know, that's where man gets through nature, and that's why we need God so much. So um, verse 13 says, And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, This is the kindness which thou shalt show me at every place, whether we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. And that is what he had told her years before, back when they were going to go into Egypt. So whenever we go to new places, this is the procedure. You tell everyone, you know, that, you know, I'm your brother. And that, that part was true. And Abimelech said, so, um, 
you know, Abraham, he's trying to make out the situation to not be personal because he did everything. That's pretty much what he's saying. Hey, you know, it wasn't personal. This is what, this is what we've just done everywhere. Okay. And it's possible he might have done the same thing in other journeys and other places, but nothing really happened. So we don't have any story. So, you know, he very well may have been telling the truth here about, about that, but it was still the wrong thing. So verse 14 says, And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him, Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. So Abimelech's fear of God, it caused him now to want to bless Abraham. And, and again, I don't know if Abimelech understood this, if God told him, but remember what God had said back in Genesis 12, I will bless them that blesseth thee and curse him that curseth thee. It was in chapter 12, after God said that, where we see the story with Pharaoh and how he ended up getting cursed because of what he had done. And it wasn't until he got that right, he was able to be blessed. And so Abimelech here, he had been cursed because of what he had done, even in ignorance. But now he's trying to be a blessing to Abraham and he's giving him flocks and things. He gives him his wife back and he's like, you know, whatever land you want before you, you can have it. And this was very wise of him. Again, he did this. Because of his fear of God. And so in verse 16 it says, And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee, and with all other, thus was she reproved. So I think this is interesting here, and I could be, I could be wrong on this, but I think it's interesting how he refers to Abraham as her brother. Okay, now, I'm not trying to add anything to the scriptures here, but when I read this, I kind of picture him, this is, this is the way I interpret this verse, okay? I think he's saying, behold, I've given to thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Okay? He is a covering to thee of the eyes. You know what I think he's trying to say here? You know, the fact that you're married to him, that right there is going to protect you here. The fact that you're his wife will protect you here. In other places, maybe it wouldn't have. It's almost like he's, you know, I think he was truly hurt. You know, what kind of people did you think we were? Do you think we were like the people over at Sodom that God destroyed? And maybe that's why he had this fear of God right now, too. Because word of Sodom had gotten out. And I think, I don't want to mess with that God. They they knew what he had done to Sodom. So I think he's I think he's genuinely hurt here. And so it says, thus Sarah was reproved. He's kind of reproving her. He's correcting her. Hey, you were wrong in doing this. You almost got me in big trouble. So he's he's giving this great gift too. I think just kind of showing his favor, showing that he's sorry. You know why? Because he's scared of them. Because you people have God on your side, and you can get me in a lot of trouble. And you know, that, that was good. He said, this was a good man who had a healthy fear of God. He's basically telling her that her brother, that her brother is her protection. She doesn't need a lie. They weren't animals like Sodom. I think that's what he's trying to say. That, that's my opinion. But it says in verse 17, so Abraham prayed unto God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants and they bear children for the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So notice, obviously some time passed. The Bible doesn't tell us how long this lasted, but there was obviously a long enough period of time where they figured out, you know what, the women aren't getting pregnant right now. 
That's how much time this was where Abraham's pretty much separated from his wife and he's not doing anything about it. You know, this is a very, uh, you know, very strange situation, very sad situation. And it just shows Abraham wasn't a perfect guy, but he was a man of great faith. See, and that's the thing, too, we've got to understand about Abraham. Whenever the Bible in the New Testament, how it's always referring back to our father Abraham, and Abraham's the father of those of faith, the Bible does not make a huge deal about like just the righteousness and the holiness of Abraham. It's about the faith of Abraham. And I'm thankful for that because of the fact that, you know, we're not that righteous and we're not that holy, are we? And, you know, there's not, we can't do a whole lot about things we've done wrong in the past and we struggle with this flesh all the time. But thankfully, we don't have to be good, clean, moral people to get to heaven. We just have to be people of faith. We just have to be people who are willing to trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation and not our own works. And we can all do that. We are all capable of that. And that was what got Abraham into heaven. So like the story we saw when they were in Egypt, this was an example of God's promise of blessing those who blessed Abraham and cursing those who cursed him. And another great lesson that we can learn from the story is to learn from our past mistakes and get them right. We've all made mistakes in the past. Let's not do them again. And, and the truth is, I don't think Abraham completely learned from his mistake. And the reason for that is because we're going to see later, Isaac did the exact same thing, didn't he? With the same person in the same place. The same thing happens. This is years later with Isaac and Rebecca. He goes in there and tells them Rebecca's his sister. Now, where did he learn that from? He probably learned it from his dad, Abraham. Now, Abraham should have told Isaac, you know what? Two different times I did this, and I almost got some good kings in big trouble because I didn't tell them the truth. I didn't trust God to protect us. I figured I could do better by with deception. You know, and... You know, one of the things you got to understand when it comes to your past mistakes, don't, you know, don't beat yourself up for it. You know, you don't have to constantly like relive these things. But, you know, it's a good, go ahead and take those opportunities to teach your children, you know, not to do those things. Go ahead and teach them not to make the same mistakes you did. Let them know the consequences of those mistakes. Because a lot of times, too, kids end up making things, you know, they end up doing, taking things farther than their parents did. So, um, you know, Abraham, said so he's a great example of faith, but he was not a perfect man. He made some big mistakes and he made some more than once, but thank God he was still able to use them and that gives hope for all of us. So anyway, with that, let's go ahead and be dismissed. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you do uh, forgive us of our sins. Lord, Lord, I pray help us to learn from these things, help us to learn from our mistakes, help us to learn to Tell others the truth. Help us to love other people more than we love ourselves and be willing to uh, just put ourselves out there and be willing to maybe even be unliked if it means telling the truth. And I pray we can uh, make a difference for the good. In your name we pray. Amen.